I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured on Celluloid, a podcast that is usually about movies. But once a year, Andrew, we branch out and we tell people some of the other things that we've enjoyed doing, uh, pop culture-wise, over the past 12 months. And yeah, this is that episode. So it's the first um, that I'm going to go with, hopefully not be proven wrong with this, the much shorter of the two episodes that we'll have this year and in the next kind of few weeks, months, where we look back on 2021. But this time it's going to be a mixed bag of all sorts of variety of pop culture things. And Andrew, you're a very cultured man, right? I mean, this is a tough one for you to narrow down. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm cultured. I am, am very much like a squirrel and that my attention can be diverted to many different things if they're big and shiny. Um, I was talking uh, to my therapist yesterday. This is not a bit. This, this is, is what this happened. Is, this, this is a great start. I'm excited. This is what this is what I said. She was like, what do you like to do when you travel? I was like, I like to eat. I, I like art and I like competition. Movies, music, sports. That's that's the only thing that gets into my feeble brain. And uh, so, yeah, that's what we're here to talk about. Well, and sport sport adjacent, we'll call it for this episode. Sure, yeah, not not kind of straight sport. If if we allow that, if we open that particular, you know, Pandora's box, Andrew would just be he'd have too many options. He'd be bringing too much sport to the pod. It would maybe turn this episode into just a different podcast that Andrew has been trying to get off the ground for quite some time. Um, so we we stick it to more popular culture. Sure, sports factors into that, and um, it will even factor into. I think one thing on both of our lists is one thing each, and um, that is somewhat sports adjacent. But no, this is broader. I mean, this is this is TV. This is books. This is music. Um, don't I don't have any games this year. I don't know if you have any games. Um, I have some like web stuff on here. I don't know if there's podcasts, but this is. Based on even last year alone, that's kind of a sampling of some of the things that um made made our lists. So I have five. You have five, right? Yeah, five ish. You know, it's uh, it's free flowing in my brain. Is it is it that free flowing in practice on a podcast, though, Andrew? Uh, I have five. You have five, and we'll do some honorable mentions at the end. So get that in order for any video loss, but it cuts. But I'll throw it straight over to you. And I mean, you can set the tone here. We're not ranking these things. I mean, we didn't do that last year. I don't necessarily feel that's that's necessary or really achieves much when we're comparing apples and oranges. But um, what do you want to go with first? What's, what's the thing that you're compelled to tell the people about that you enjoyed in 2021? So there's a, a phenomenon that took the U.S. by storm in a way that it hasn't before in 2021. And it was largely because of a, a, a piece of content on one of the streaming behemoths, Netflix. And my, my first choice is Formula One Drive to Survive. Um, Adam, growing up in North Carolina, I had a lot of exposure to NASCAR as a child, was a fan as a kid, kind of dip in and out as an adult and just, you know, can't really ever get fully uh involved in being a motorsports fan i don't know it's just like something i didn't 
most other sports, I at least have some tangible experience from growing up of either playing it in the backyard or formally. And so with motorsports, it's like, I see them on the track going in circles, but I don't know what's happening. Well, formula one drive to survive, uh, goes behind the curtain and shows you what the wizard of Oz is up to. And really just, uh, provides an illuminating kind of look into what it, it takes to drive for a formula one team. And, uh, you know, work as a team principal or one of the mechanics. And it, it was an eye-opening, fascinating look because it also turns into basically like a real an episode of Real Housewives of New Jersey or whatever, with just in this case, it's just grown men bickering behind the scenes about uh, perceived wrongs that other teams have done to them and rule changes. And uh, as we saw in the final race of 2021, there this is a sport that... This, this is a spoiler a- for future season of Dread Survivor, right? This is a spoiler for season four, I'm I'm sure, but this already happened. So, you know, if if you want to get caught up on all four seasons and you but you haven't been following the sport as it goes live, then yeah, tur- turn me off right now. But uh, yeah, with Max Verstappen controversially uh, ending Lewis Hamilton's reign as the Formula One World Champion, I mean, this was the perfect time to to embrace this this new sport in my life. Uh, I love the series because it really. Uh, endears you to the some of the drivers and then it you know introduces some that are villains uh because of this show i'm a huge daniel ricardo and lando norris fan i'm a mclaren guy but right now i'm wearing a haas motorsports hat because my friend got me a gift card and as a bit i was like why don't i just get the worst team's hat i already have enough mclaren hats from my original binge watching of the show um so you know it, it provides you just a, some insight into all of the teams and you're going to have guys that win your heart. You're going to have some guys that you hate. And it's just a really fun time that everything that goes on around the sport is actually more interesting than <laughs> what goes on in the track. Sometimes not to say that amazing things don't happen for in particular season three, the most recent season features a, a really harrowing and uh, fiery wreck that uh, I'm sure many people have heard about like, a driver Roman Grosjean. It was a uh, like a miracle that even survived it. So that was one of the, the best episodes of this season as they really uh, paint the picture of what it was like to be on the track that day. Um, I'm excited for season four. They're also making a, uh, a PGA tour version of this with uh, the same producers, I believe. And I, I hope you're as excited for that as I am, Adam. And if it's done correctly and is as entertaining as, as I find, drive to survive maybe you'll be talking about this on next year version of this yeah you're stealing my juice because that was my contribution to uh the drive to survive conversation was that yeah the the cast of players was officially announced yesterday for the the bj tour equivalent of this that's going to start up and pretty star-studded but also included the right mix of um, guys who are a few steps lower than the rung of professional golf. I mean, not in a relative sense. These are all PGA Tour players and some of the more colorful and interesting personalities on tour. So seems like that should be promising. And yeah, it's it's basically something like that's going to in, into existence because this has been such a success. I mean, nowhere I think has its success and its influence been felt more greatly than the US. Um, somewhere where, you know, I think F1 was just as niche as it gets and very largely ignored for a long time even all my years growing up i mean f1 would be pretty big here you know 
um, in terms of motors, motor, motorsport and in Europe generally. Um, and I guess that goes back to the, the older, more traditional kind of rota and schedule for a Formula One season, which was predominantly European. That is rapidly changing um, as places like Saudi Arabia just build tracks out of nowhere to bring people for lots of money. Does Drive Survive dig into any of that sort of stuff? They it's haven't a, it's, really. It's a sport with famously like questionable ethics in terms of the characters involved in it and money, and that goes back quite a long time. Um, is is there any of that in this? I'm assuming no. There's not because I've had to unpack that for myself in separate. Uh kind of research as i've done it and then i've been like oh well this isn't great and then you know i just think about 30 years of baseball fan and i'm fandom and i'm like well i just suck all the way around um i'm the worst but yeah that's something i'm interested to see if it gets addressed in season four because i i thought this was the first year in saudi arabia but i'm or at least at this new track or whatever it was i know i feel like they've been going to abu dhabi for um longer than that or maybe i'm switching those up but whatever i think think you're right on that and so it'll be interesting to see if in season four they address that because i mean as far as these series go i think they go a little more against the grain in terms of of showing you things that maybe don't paint people in the best light but something to that extent which is like really shining a light on a I'll just say it a horrible aspect of the sport and something that you know a lot of sports are dealing with right now with oh, sports. the PGA Tour yeah the PGA Tour going to Saudi Arabia I think it is is it in February or a, the Asian Tour has an event there that a lot okay. of PGA Tour players will go to. that's right PGA Tour tried their best to ban the players from going and that did not work out because the players were like, uh, have you seen how much money is being offered over there? We get paid to play. We are going to go and play there. Um, which, yeah, it's unfortunate. I, I find there's a lot to kind of unpack in that. But what are professional sports, if not mercenary? I mean, F1 has always been one that because of just the insane cost of the entire operation of running a team of all of the R&D that goes into this, it tends to attract a certain kind of colorful billionaire character to that world. Um, and then even some of the fans, when you're one of your absolute flagship and most famous races is Monaco, and you've got this, this Grand Prix in Monaco, that in its own right is going to do something. So I, I think kind of in zooming out, historically, these have been problems for F1 in terms of finding a way to speak to a much larger audience both kind of geographically and demographically and i haven't watched this i've considered it a few times it's just now i'm like a few seasons behind it feels like just a lot i mean i could just watch like the most recent season they put out that would really make no difference to me i suppose in theory um but it's a phenomenon and people love it it's it's making people love the sport so Good for F1, good for everyone who's enjoying it. I think it's a really, really interesting, like, just piece of content in terms of how all of this has come together, the Netflix of it all, what it's doing for the sport. I know from friends who are into F1, and, you know, I include you in this because we've had this conversation too, 
it seems to be the gateway drug for people. And then a year later, when everyone has watched the season and they see their season come back at them in the next season of Tribe Survive, it's like, wait, that's not how it happened at all. You know, they're taking liberties with the editing or they're, they're really kind of creating a storyline there. And that too is interesting because documentary is a is dicey territory to begin with but this feels quite removed from documentary this is pure entertainment and it's coinciding with f1 becoming an entertainment sport which as you alluded to and as we talked about at the time that finale to last season was nothing if not entertainment over everything else yeah exactly um i mean and for better or for worse as someone that's especially over the last few years of doing this tried to uh, better examine and analyze the content that I watch. It was able to make me go, cars go fast, men get angry, and I enjoyed it. So for you know, it is what it is. But if uh, if you're looking for a turn your brain off and and just watch some fast cars and some dudes argue and some of them be charming and some of them be hateable, I highly recommend it. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep us on the sports um, section of this and then that will be cleared out of the way. And you mentioned Drive to Survive and that made me think of these guys because they regularly talk about it. And then we also mentioned the PJ Tour version of it and it also made me think about these guys. So the first thing that I've come to recommend, it's not just really one thing as much as it's um, one YouTube channel, one podcast channel, one group of um, friends who are creating the best golf content on the internet, but really a lot beyond that. To just call it golf content is going to instantly put off people who aren't interested in golf or maybe aren't hardcore golf fans. And as I'm glad to say, you'll be able to help me attest to on this because I've, I've managed to persuade you to dip your toe in the water. That is not really what No Laying Up is about. Um, in particular for me, this was the year where having listened to podcasts on and off and kind of dipped into stuff here and there, I became flat out obsessed with a lot of their web series on YouTube. And um, the two kind of primary ones being Strapped and Tourist Sauce. Um, Strapped is a show that sees Neil Schuster and Phil Big Randy Landis go to the U.S. city for a weekend. So it's two nights, three days. They have $500. That's their budget for accommodation, for food, for drink, and most importantly, for their golf. They have certain targets built in, certain um, bonuses that can be achieved, and they can either add to or subtract from their budget over the course of the weekend based on how they play golf. Uh, so they're accompanied by DJ Pahowski, the, the producer. And I cannot, cannot overstate just how funny, how charming, how enlightening Strapped is. Because sure, if you're into golf, you're going to get to see some, some golf courses around the US. More than anything, though, they go to different places. They get a sense of how you can see the real part of some of the lesser known towns and cities throughout the US. And they're basically accompanied by locals who act as their tour guides and, you know, show them the things that are of note, whether it's attractions, whether it's culture, give you a real sense of the place they're in. 
And with that, then you also, I guess, have a template where it's like, oh, you're looking for fun ways to go and I don't know, spend a weekend away with your buddies. You can go play golf and you can do it without spending like $200 a green fee per round. So strapped is one part of this. The other is tourist sauce, which is really similar principle in terms of showing you a really kind of up close look at a place um, but in much more detail. So tourist sauce, I think there's been six seasons, maybe seven now. Um, sees them go to different places. The most recent season, for example, was Michigan, where they play golf courses around the state of Michigan. As opposed to strapped, this is much more towards the higher end. This is like your dream trip. So it's all of the best courses around. In the past, they've gone to Australia. They've gone to Ireland. They've gone to Scotland. And it's really just a, a group of buddies who've got great chemistry, who are really, really funny, really, really smart. Um, going, having a good, a good time, sampling different cultures, getting to know local people, and really kind of having an underground look at what there is to love about the game of golf. And I love golf. Um, I'm very bad at golf. I don't get to play anywhere near as much as I should or I would like to. And that's a feeling that only grows all the greater, the more no laying up content I, I watch or listen to. Um, but I, I love golf. I love watching golf. And yet this is a reminder of a lot of the kind of the grassroots of the game and something that's more pure and, and the ways that it is kind of a very pleasurable social experience and how tied golf can often be to the communities, particularly in a lot of kind of smaller towns um that a lot of their a lot of their business can be tied to their golf course and i just i don't know it's a, it's a tough one maybe to sell from a complete outsider you just got to trust me i think i got andrew to trust me and he seems to enjoy it but uh, the no laying up guys are just great and strapped and tourist sauce in particular i cannot recommend highly enough if you're into like uh like anti anthony bourdain shows or travel shows like you get a lot of the same kind of vibe for that and i think originally how i got you to watch is like these are just perfect like oh it's late at night you want to watch something for half an hour to kind of switch off fire up youtube put these on and i guess i haven't even mentioned now but the production values are sky high i mean better than really anything else you're going to see on youtube for this format these could easily just be broadcast on tv and the, the results are just immensely, immensely enjoyable. Yeah, per your recommendation, I've seen most of uh, the Strapped series now. And then I think a few of the Michigan episodes of Taurus Sauce and have plans to to uh, go through the rest of them. It is really just guys being dudes that also do great things for the, the sport of golf and local communities. I really like how in... I think strapped in particular, and probably two tourist offs, but I've only seen a few of those. Is they really try to highlight local municipal courses, which might be courses that are much more accessible to, you know, people without ridiculous amounts of money to drop on country club dues and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So, like you said, that, that community aspect of golf is like it's not just, and there's an inclusive nature to the way that they talk about the game and the way they talk about how it's important for these courses to exist. So, you know, young people and people uh, in different income uh, stratospheres can, can learn the game of golf and that these communities can continue to, to thrive and, and have people that play on these local courses. And, uh, and they're just like really funny dudes. I mean, really, Neil and, really and funny. Like Neil it, and 
the well, Olympic Randy's like roommate adventures are like half the fun of strapped. It's just figuring out <laughs> do they have to share a bed on this episode and you know randy's a, a pretty big dude so like if he's on if randy's on a twin bed like uh, that's gonna be a problem uh, uh he's, his feet are gonna be hanging off the end and are they staying with an airbnb host who's maybe a little strange and, and that sort of thing so they they get into a lot of stuff i mean i've even bought and bought and what am i doing i've even purchased a uh a no laying up hat and a strapped uh t-shirt uh finally after they d- did a few sales so like even me someone who wishes he played more golf likes golf but isn't necessarily a super fan i really enjoy it every time i watch it and like even if you don't like golf just just come for the the hijinks and the and the funny guys and you'll leave with uh an appreciation for what they're doing and also some new catchphrases yeah, that's very true and I, I, one of the things that i did forget and you kind of touched on straight away and I know we've talked about this privately when we discuss it, and it's like there are no shortage to kind of startup media sports companies. That's a group of guys, just a group of buddies talking about what they love. I say this is someone who's part of a podcast network that talks with the Milwaukee Bucks with three of my friends who've been doing a long time. I, I think No Laying Up are very much like the best of that in that when you watch or listen to anything they do, yeah, there's kind of just like stereotypical sports bros but without any of the baggage that has come to be associated with that in recent years online and particularly you know i don't need to name them i think most people listening will know if you're into sports you'll know like certain outlets that have grown pretty big followings from a certain kind of like crass and vulgar and just outright offensive at times kind of brand of oh you know we are bros who love sports and this is how we view the world like this is the opposite of that there's all the kind of camaraderie and group dynamics that i think people will associate just with talking about sports with their own friends um but there is also just much more taught and care and intelligence to everything they do and in the landscape of what a lot of this kind of stuff can be it really stands out and i appreciate it all the more for that all right andrew what have you got next this is one that we both love and that i stole from you i claimed i staked my claim in the ground andrew picked first and said i'm going to to do this because i have not watched enough stuff Uh, i was late i was late to the game on this show the show of course is something that you should all be watching and i'm sure you are all watching because to be up to date on the uh the zeitgeist and the social media kind of meme culture you need to be watching succession um it's for the first time since game of thrones it's something especially towards the last half of this season three it's something i felt that i needed to watch live and that's very rare in this streaming uh recorded age so yeah, I benched the first two seasons, uh, I think early 2021 or late 2020, whatever it may be. And then uh, season three of Succession came out in 2021 and it was just as great as ever, you know, following uh, the Roy family's uh, uh, corporate uh, evilness is the best way to say it. I, I sh- am going to do even less talking about specifics on this because this is something that if you haven't seen succession you should just do it i mean it's got some of the the best performances 
on TV. And I mean, it's, and we've got, it's, it's better. It's better filmmaking than some movies nowadays, especially some of the ones that uh, come on Netflix that I don't watch that apparently get two sequels announced, uh, even though the first one was horrible. Um, I went on a Netflix movie rant related to someone who uh, works on Succession on our last pod, so we don't need to. We don't need. That is true. Uh, um, so you know, show showrunner and creator Jesse Armstrong just r- really making television at the highest level right now. We got Brian Cox, Jeremy Strong, Kieran Culkin, Sarah Snook, Matthew McFadden, Nicholas Braun, uh, Alan Ruck giving great ensemble performances as this as this uh, media giant family dysfunctional owners of a Fox News-esque media conglomerate. And we just watch the internal politics and the backstabbing that goes along with that. And it's a show about horrible people that are kind of horrible at their jobs sometimes. And it's just incredibly amusing, incredibly well-made. And I mean, I was later to it than anyone. So everyone I'm talking to is probably like, yes, Andrew, we've seen it. (laughs) Uh, We love it too. And so that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, it's the best show on TV. It's uh, it's not really close for me. I haven't seen anything, certainly kind of multiple season, like traditional TV. I know so much is miniseries now, uh, fantastic miniseries I'll talk about shortly. But it just doesn't seem like traditional multi-season television. Um, his one exists in the same way anymore, too, just lives up to this kind of standard, and it's a really high, high bar to to reach it's hysterically funny i think if you are like andrew was at the beginning of this year and you haven't checked it out yet and you're like i've probably heard a lot about like these awful people and the fox news s company that's not going to do for me a show that is based like not very subtly on the the burdock family none of that sounds all that appealing this show is absolutely hilariously funny um, the kind of the DNA of the show and what Jesse Armstrong brings to it comes from his work with Armando Iannucci, with people like Chris Morris, just some of the funniest satirists, um, ironically enough, considering the conversation our last episode, um, on the planet. And that kind of seeps its way true into this. If you've ever watched The Tick of It or Veep, like you'll have a sense for some of what's going on here but it does bring real kind of drama to it as well. And drama in a very kind of Shakespearean sense. There's something about the rhythms of the show. There's something about the way it moves that is incredibly elevated and almost operatic in that sense. And yet it's just punctuated by like a hundred jokes a minute at the same time. It's very, very special and very, very rare. And it's, it's kind of rare that, a show like this would last let alone build a following like it has and the fact that it is now like a game of thrones-esque event as you as you described is insane and it's it's one of the few things where i'm like hey look at look at culture collectively getting it right like the fact that there is as big an audience as there is for succession is really really good news it's encouraging for uh for all media what it can be and how people can enjoy it and to your point, like it's one of the few things you watch live. I I made sure to stay awake and watch simulcasts of every episode in the last season because it's like, yeah, I need to see this live because if I have to wake up the next morning and I've got to do stuff and start my day and 
go on and it's like there's this is just it's too big and the funny thing about it is every episode in a lot of ways is the same it can be quite samey and it feels like the story goes around in circles and yet it always finds ways to break through in clever ways and the characters are so well written and so well performed that it never kind of feels stayed or boring and it is just something of a marvel in terms of writing direction performance it's really really top level tv and it's again hysterically funny it's it's always a thing i try to stress with succession because one i don't think very much is funny in the world like as as a human race andrew i think we're failing at being funny and i think succession does humor very very well back to me um let's okay let's stick with the kind of with the drama the tv drama and in my case it's a mini series um my pick is the underground railroad written directed by barry jenkins um if you're listening to us which you are if you're hearing me right now you are no stranger to who barry jenkins is because i don't think you would have just stumbled across our podcast or listened for very many episodes otherwise uh one of the greatest working filmmakers and I, I had mixed feelings when I heard that his next project was going to be a 10-episode show for Amazon Prime. Is that what I want from Perry Jenkins? Me, the movie guy? Not really. But it turns out when people are really, really smart, really, really creative, they should be trusted to make their own choices. So that goes for people in positions of power executives within the industry who can finance and fund things and get things off the ground and it also goes for fans and you should be willing to basically give the benefit of the doubt to any and all filmmakers that you're interested in and be like yeah okay they're they're making this kind of movie and um, barry jenkins is a great example of this because he is also making a lion king sequel which everyone's like he's making a lion king sequel what's the point of that where at this point i'm like you know what? I'm going to be there to see Barry Jenkins' Lion King sequel, and I'm not going to doubt it for a second until I've seen it. You know, I think he could do anything. So this is adapted from the Colson Whitehead um, novel of the same name. It's base, basically a fictionalization of um, stories of people attempting to escape from slavery throughout the, the South in the 1800s. Um, the Underground Railroad, that the title comes from, is a kind of imagined fantastical underground network um, of people helping each other to escape from slavery, to move from one part of the country to the other, um, to try and find safety, to try and find community, to try and find a better life. And this series is incredibly visceral, frequently very, very difficult to watch, and that's the point of it, because you're dealing with difficult subject matter. At the same time, it is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen on TV. I've never seen anything that looks like this. I've never seen anything that's just as well-measured emotionally and as thoughtful as this. Um, just as a piece of television, if you want to take everything else out of it, it's really well-structured. I feel it's really well-paced. The performances are incredible. But this is a level of filmmaking that I, I don't think you ever really see on television in terms of its, its craft. And, you know, I don't want to do that. Oh, you don't see on television because you don't see it very often in movies either. 
like to have made i'm trying to think what the overall running time comes in at because like most streaming shows now some episodes are over an hour some are under an hour we're probably coming out around 10 hours overall to have made 10 hours of this though is just a monumental achievement i honestly i don't know why this is not a bigger deal i don't know why at this point like the underground railroad pick the end of year when you see tv lists and at this time when award season's coming why it's just not the thing that people are talking about all the time because something like this isn't just going to come along again next year or hasn't been there in previous years it is amazing i cannot recommend this highly enough any any kind of trust in me any kind of trust in barry jenkins watch the underground railroad it's on prime uh, prime video wherever wherever you live in the world it's um a prime series and yeah it's it's tough it's tough and there'll be moments and i mean particularly maybe one of the harshest of them all it comes in the first episode i think it's there intentionally this is not something you're going to be like oh i've got a sunday off i'm not leaving the couch i'm going to watch 10 hours straight or something let's watch the underground railroad it's not the way to watch it and jenkins himself has acknowledged that and he's even suggested if you're interested he has a kind of how he'd block them out as in sometimes it's good to do two or three in a setting sometimes that may help you may help the story other times you know one and let it sit and you may need a break whatever way you decide to watch it watch it it's really really incredible as bad as i am with keeping up with movies i'm worse at tv so this is something that uh i have a plan to revisit once we once we get through 2021 movies, the Oscars are behind us. I have a little more time where I don't feel like whenever I have free time, I need to be playing catch up on on movies. I will uh, make sure I dive into this. Please do. And I take some of, you know, maybe more than partial responsibility for your terrible TV watching because you used to be watching a lot of TV. And then I, you know, got in your case enough about you not watching movies. Right now you watch movies and you don't see TV. So this is this is generally the problem we all have, is there's so much stuff that it is now it's impossible overall, to keep up with it all. It, it's overall a positive development in my life, but I will make an exception for Barry Jenkins. I'm glad to hear it. What have you got next? Adam, I'm going to save the one where you'll make fun of me for last. So I'm going to uh, go with my music choice right now. And I had a few different options that I'll unveil for the honorable mentions as we get towards the end of this. But I actually got something on vinyl yesterday that I had really liked um, during the year. And it it vaulted it towards the front of, of my list for this conversation, especially because it's someone I don't think I've referenced in a type like a, a style of music that i don't typically bring up on things i'm known probably to adam as the the americana country guy uh whenever discussing music and that's true but i can branch out in the other areas so uh one of my favorite albums of the year was take the sadness out of saturday night uh by a band called bleachers uh in as you listen to this this was another reason it was in my mind as you listen to this they will have been on saturday night live last saturday as a replacement um for an original artist that had gotten covid uh the i guess lead singer creator primary songwriter uh of bleachers is jack antonoff and if you know his name it's probably because of the production work he's done for people like lana del rey taylor swift and lord um 
early in his career, he was in a band called Steel Train and then a band called Fun that won Best New Artist, I think, at like the 2013 or 2012 Grammys, somewhere along that point. And then uh, after they made a, that second album that uh, received a lot of radio play, they just broke up, never made, never, never made another album. Uh, Jack started the band Bleachers. Uh, they have three albums now. This is their third st- studio album, uh, Strange Desire, Gone Now, and now this album, Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night. I've seen them, I think, live three times. They have provided a, a very energetic and inclusive show. Um, it's it's almost like how I imagine religious people find, find church. It's just like a very visceral experience. They do, they do a good job of just really making it a active experience for their audience with encouraging uh, fans to sing and that sort of thing. It's just, a, it's just a really good time. Um, they, uh, this album, some of my favorite songs are uh, called Stop Making This Hurt, uh, 45, Don't Go Dark, How Dare You Want More. Uh, I guess that the way you describe their music is indie pop, synth pop, definitely some 80s rock and roll and pop influences. They're not afraid of, of big uh, songs and uh just i don't want to say loud but big and expansive songs uh and then my favorite song on the album oh probably not my favorite but just for for nostalgic reasons it's one i like a lot it's called chinatown and it has bruce springsteen on it who was someone uh that was obviously a huge influence on jack antonoff's musical life as jack like a, is from... like a feature yes like bruce actually went down to the studio for this that's cool yeah um i don't th- i know I don't jack think... antonoff is now a, he is a very very significant person in the world of music but i wasn't had their have their paths crossed in a production sense before that you know of? uh i don't think they have i wasn't aware of anything like that it was a surprise to me when i think it was either then the end of 2020 was when this dropped as a single or when it was announced that the spring scene was going to be on this song so naturally i was excited to see that so i think it really probably comes down to you know his uh growing fame in the music industry and then the, the uh, new jersey connection because uh, jack is a new mm. jersey guy very important to Springsteen. i mean i think if you and i were from new jersey maybe we could get him on the pot um, you know, I've got some of my in-laws are from New Jersey. I just need to develop the accent and I can become an honorary New Jersey resident. And then you've we got, can talk you've to got work to do. You've got work to do on that. I really do. Um, so yeah, Adam, I don't, I don't think bleachers would be quite to your taste. Uh, but I really enjoy them. Uh, you know, I, I'm really hoping for the, uh, the, uh, COVID of it all to go away. And for us to get a, an expansive tour, they haven't been to North Carolina in a few years in general. And, you know, it's time for me to go sing, sing my anxieties away. Uh, as always, I'm happy for you. You love music when you've got music that you like. I think you did. It's probably a couple of years ago now where you were talking about bleachers a lot and you may have encouraged you or maybe I did it my own volition. I checked it out. And yeah, you're right. Just not really for me. But um, yeah, I think probably for a lot of people. So take Andrew's advice. Andrew knows music. The, does, he, does he necessarily like all the music I like? No, but he does know music and he listens to a lot more music than I do. So I, I have trust and I have faith in your recommendation.
Um, let's see, where will I go next? I'll do a book. Um, this this kind of feels like cheating because of the subject matter, and this is our non-movie episode, but it is Captured in Cellulite after all. So uh, my my pick for a book for 2021 is Quiz of Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a novel. This was something that I was really, really intrigued about in the run-up to it, and as Tarantino started to talk about it, and obviously over the past couple of years, as he continues to really go on and on and on and on about this idea of retiring after his next film and seeing himself as more of a writer and wanting to write, wanting to write film criticism and wanting to write fiction. I've heard him talk about wanting to write stage plays. There's just, there's been so much of it that I was like, okay, well, let's see what Tarantino the writer is. Let's see what that's going to feel like. Let's see what the difference is going to be between Tarantino on screen and not just Tarantino on the page because he's one of the greatest screenwriters of his generation, but Tarantino writing fiction in this case. It's a completely different medium. It requires different things. It's not necessarily just going to function in the exact same way as his writing for screen does. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a film I love. It's a film we both loved. I believe it was my number one on our 2019 yeah, that sounds right. Um, movie rankings. And with that, I was eagerly anticipating that. And so in the run-up to it, I guess what, what I was thinking, I'm sure anyone with interest was, you know, is this going to be a straight novelization? Is this him just slightly expanding on what we saw on screen, writing out that story in different ways? Or what will it be? And the answer to that is is really why it's kind of factoring in a conversation like this and i still really have any kind of really strong feeling for it it's because it's not what you expect it to be at all at all it's really subversive in the ways that it just diverges and not just diverges from the movie but just discards the movie and the movie's main preoccupations and the ending to the movie which is pretty infamous is it's just kind of casually mentioned as an aside in the middle of this book, just across a couple pages. And it's not really what the book is about. And the book isn't doing the same things. Instead, what we get is we get lots of characters who I guess were sidelined in the movie or only have very, very brief kind of um, roles in the movie. They get really, really fleshed out. And we get to know Rick Dalton, the character in the film, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Cliff Booth, the character played by Brad Pitt, much more intimately and with the, the kind of the tools that fiction and um, novel writing afford in a much more kind of internal way. And I'll say sometimes that's for good, sometimes that's for bad. I think elements of Tarantino's characterization certainly work much better on screen, what this does is it expands the world and the world that I think was already really vivid to begin with in the film is kind of, it's painted even more vividly here. And just by kind of moving out and out and also, you know, zooming in and in all of the kind of the cultural references, the things Tarantino uses to kind of situate this film in a certain time and a place. And like, I think of many films in recent years, it'll be more in a time and place. They eventually come more and more to the fore 
and they they have an even greater impact. I it's just without getting into spoilers, which I'm not going to do on a recommendation. It's really interesting the things he does to move away from what his story was with this book and just the sheer Tarantino-esque audacity of some of the decisions he makes, some of the real-life people he inserts from the future into this story are, they're just kind of jaw-dropping. When they happen, you're like, he's not really doing this, is he? And yes, of course he is. So it's a fascinating exercise and one that, I mean, if you're interested in the movie, I would say um, the Timothy Oliphant character, who's we really mostly just see share a great, great scene and um, with Rick Dalton, massively fleshed out, a lot more interaction there. And also um, the child actress, whose name I'm now blank on, Mirabel Lancer is the character that, of course, that's what she wants to be referred to in the movie. Um, so much more there. And he takes that in some interesting directions, but it's is kind of pure Tarantino and it's softer than the film it's kind of sweeter than the film in most ways and yet it has these kind of flights of fancy and the kind of imagination that you'd expect from him and I would much rather that he just keeps making movies but this has made me interested to see what his non uh, screenplay writing looks like and already in the works I believe he has um, another Once Upon a Time in Hollywood related book, which is basically going to be uh, a book on Rick Dalton's filmography, um, as if Rick Dalton was a real figure. I, I don't know, is that the one that he's writing as Quentin Tarantino, as if he was an actual like film historian, and it's based on an interview he has with Rick Dalton at a film festival? It's, it's something along those lines. Um, this is the kind of thing he's interested in. And based on this book, you know what? It's actually pretty interesting and pretty fun to read. If I read books, <laughs> I definitely would have read it. Uh, but you know, I think this is this is book club potential for us. I know we put ourselves up against it with the last book club, but I don't know how much our appetite will be there for it because coordinating for two non-prolific readers to read a book at the same time in time for a podcast it's it's tempting fate you know it's it's dicey waters but i, I definitely on a list that we drew quite a while ago this is one on it and it may be interesting at some point to do a, a book club episode where we both read this and we watch the movie and we talk about all of the decisions he makes between the two that sounds like a plan adam i can handle that if i put myself in the brain space now Coming up next, once again, I have stolen a item from Adam that we both really enjoyed. Uh, you know, you, the, with the way I talk... Can we, can we start may... with one thing on this? Can we start with one thing on this? Um, we can. I'm going to follow up with a pick that's somewhat in the same molds too, and it's something we talked about earlier in the year. These are going on our non-movie best of 2021 podcast other people may have them on the movie podcast i i don't know the lines are really blurred it's tough to figure out they're just so informed kind of completely separate to the rest of i think what we would generally represent as movies that i decided well 
thing that Andrew's just got about to mention. I've, I've been weighing up like, does this go on my on my top thirty movie list? And I've just decided, no, you know what? I'm gonna leave that aside. It's one of the very best of another thing. Um, but I I don't necessarily feel like it's movies. And it's much the same with um the Beatles series Get Back, which lots of people are deciding is a movie. Uh, like it comes in three parts. It's eight hours long. Like if that's a movie, then why is the Underground Railroad not the number one movie of the year? It's at a certain point, I, I think this is defeating the purpose when it's just trying to claim one thing as another. The fact is, like, Get Back was originally supposed to be a movie. And instead, there was so much stuff that Peter Jackson went to Disney and he's like, can we put this out as a series instead? So I, I think that's a kind of key distinction there. And in this case, maybe the lines are more blurred, but this is something that, and my next pick, um, we've decided to put into this episode. So if you feel they're a film, sorry, don't get mad at us. We, we love them. This is just how we decided to categorize them. And yes, uh, well said. And that particular piece of content is Bo Burnham's Inside, which I guess is the, the best way to describe it would be uh, a comedy special that's funny and sometimes very moving and serious. Um, again, like with Succession, I'm embracing something that the wider online culture has already embraced. So I'm telling you things you already know. But uh, Inside was one of the favorite, one, my favorite things I've watched this year. It's a uh, comedian, Bo Burnham, who basically became famous online. He was not necessarily an influencer, but he was a YouTuber before there were really YouTubers, um, creating uh, parody songs for the most part. And then that transitioned into a career where he would tour and make specials for people like Netflix, 2016's um, Make Happy. Uh, there were a few others. And the, the funny thing is, as a teenager, I wasn't necessarily someone that listened to, to Bo Burnham's stuff. I knew who he was, obviously, because he and I were about the same age. So going through high school, middle school, Bo Burnham songs and videos were things that people were sharing and talking about, but wasn't necessarily uh, my thing. So words, 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 what make happy weren't things that really landed with me. There were bits and pieces here and there. Um that that appealed to me but inside was the first thing that really grabbed me uh one thing that i do like from some of his earlier career is uh his uh parody uh bro country song if if you if you don't like radio country music uh i find that one really amusing because it's spot on it's on the nose but it's really funny um and burnham's real breakout in i guess mainstream film culture would have been uh, I'm trying to remember which of these came first. I probably should have pulled up his Wikipedia page. Well, he he had a uh, small role in The Big Sick as one of the comedians in Kamala Nanjiani's um, circle. And then he directed 2018's Eighth Grade. The um, Big Sick was first, some... but definitely Eighth Grade was the one that landed him on movie audiences, map. Yeah, and he so he directed Eighth Grade, which, which received some critical acclaim. And then I think that's when I first got an idea of a little more depth about who he was as a, a creator and seeing him talk on a lot of uh, interview circuits and panels. I, I gained a lot of respect for just the way he approaches his own fame and like how he put himself in position 
to do what he does now and some of the mistakes he made along the way and how we as a society, especially like teenagers and people of a certain age, uh, how social media affects the way that they see the world and how they approach the world. Um, and so with inside, I think he does a little bit of that, but he mostly just paints a portrait of himself as, as someone that's dealing with being locked down during the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, he has some, some songs about, climate change and just the the structural systems of the world and capitalism things like that uh, just thinking of this is how the world works he's got songs about <laughs> sexting uh instagram and, and things of that nature the internet yes the internet of it all facetiming with with your mom and they're all just uh funny and when they need to be poignant when they need to be and then they're also just bangers uh from time to time that's the most crucial detail is they're just legitimately great songs like i could have put the special on my list here i could have put the album on my list here either because i did just listen to these songs on their own as songs at times this year like that's that's the crucial thing i think for people who if if you somehow haven't watched inside yet you're like oh yeah comedy funny songs because that to me, I'm like, nope, I'm. This is not for me. I'm out of here. Songs are great, incredibly funny, really well written, and just catchy songs. And in particular, if you listen to last week's episode, you know I'm being a giant baby about turning thirty, and he has a song that addresses turning thirty in the age of. Um, covid and in particular something that i'm really relating to right now which is the line repeated all my stupid friends are having stupid children it's like it's it's happening all around me and and here i am childless except for my two dogs so uh yeah bo burnham really just hit a lot of us i think right right where we live right now and just hit us in in some of the places uh where we're feeling anxious or claustrophobic or just bummed out about the world i mean in terms of like the climate change aspect and some of those songs and just like uh some of the bezo songs like i feel like his special does a better job of like actually addressing how people feel about those issues better than don't look up did so like and sorry about it uh other anyone that's mad at me but yeah i don't know it's just something that's been really um it's been really rewatchable too, or and able to frequently listen to the songs as well, which doesn't always work for something like this. Some sometimes, especially I found that with uh, I don't know either really emotional things or like music that or like musicals or something that's I'm about to compare it to something else, but I'm not describing it correctly. But like something like you mentioned to me the other day and then and then i tried to rewatch something that i really liked earlier in the year and it just didn't land the second time which is tick tick boom mm. um for some reason that for me was like a one and done and i think part of it's the the cheesiness of a, of a broadway kind of musical and also the grading uh nature of the way that the lead character portrayed from time to time in tick tick boom so that was like a, okay kind of just a one and done situation whereas with inside despite kind of things around that and the anxiety inducing paranoia that it creates about the world in some cases i found it kind of a, a comfort rewatch almost yeah we use this as a point of reference throughout the year as we both turned 30 um since this came out 
and I think it's probably the best piece of pandemic content that was made. Like, there's been a lot of pandemic art, very little of it. I mean, very, very little of it that's head on, like addressing just every bit of the situation of the anxieties of it has been even just okay. And this is a true masterpiece. Like it is a legitimately great, great special. I, after the fact, um, decided to go back and watch his other specials. Didn't like them. Didn't like them. Don't work for me at all. Not into it. And I'm only saying that so that if you are someone out there who's like, yeah, I don't like Bo Burnham. I, I think there's a lot here and maybe it's the sheer universality of experience that the pandemic has given. Um, I'm sure there is certainly a lot of it that is going to speak more to people our age or people of Bo Burnham's generation, the internet generation generally. But I, I do think it is kind of much more incisive, um, much more targeted in picking out the areas of interest and the things that he wants to satirize, the things that he wants to talk about. And the the one thing which had me debating for many months, whether this was a film, whether it should be on my film list or here, is it is brilliantly shot and I guess conceived just the the planning some of the visual gags but also just the use of space when the whole idea is the limited space the confined space is really really good and it won't surprise anyone who saw it great a film I liked if didn't love but a film that made it clear that oh yeah this guy can direct and I, I am really really excited to see what more he does in the the kind of feature film range but I'd, I'd also like to see more of this. I mean, something that you didn't mention is um, after, was it after Make Happy? Was that the last time he toured um, due to his anxiety and he began to have panic attacks? So he stopped touring and that's the reason why there was a lack of specials. And part of that led to his pivot to performing in movies and directing and writing movies. And Ultimately, like that's led to some invention here when he essentially wanted to do a comedy special and it was at home with no audience. And maybe it is just something that only works because of the COVID of it all and because of the situation being so kind of deeply relatable to us at that time. I say at that time as if it's not still really at this time and that it may still not be at you know that time down the line as well. But I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him do more in this space, too. I very much doubt that's how his brain works. Um, I'm sure creatively he's done this and he wants to move on. But it's kind of unlike anything else I'd seen and just could not have been better in really every aspect. Performance, writing, and the songs themselves. It was just absolutely top class. So if somehow you haven't seen Bo Burnham Inside, it's on Netflix. Go watch it. Um, I probably won't talk as much about my pick here, which also falls into the kind of the special. Um, because we did a full episode about it earlier in the year, which at that point, I think we probably had a conversation about, is this a movie or is it not? And I think we came down and is it a movie? And in hindsight, I think maybe it's coming down on that is also reflective of the time it came out, which was like January, February, 2021. When, we hadn't been seeing a lot of movies for quite some time and certainly not seeing them in a theatrical sense 
and the lines were more blurred than that than ever because people were in the very Bo Burnham sense of the word um, you know inside they were at home and I I think this is maybe less of a special again because it's it's on a stage in something that is even more kind of representative of Bo Burnham's previous shows and this is Derek Delgadio's in and of itself. What is the quick way for me to describe this, Andrew? Um, it's part magic show, part kind of exercise in storytelling, part um, plea for people to look deep inside themselves and to think about how they define themselves, how others define them and what all of that means and what the choices we mean and how we, we choose to label ourselves and other, you know, what are the effects of those both on ourselves and our own self-esteem, but also on how we present ourselves to the world, how we interact and engage the world. And this was just really unique. I, I haven't seen anything like this um, in terms of one kind of integrating elements of magic and illusions into something that was kind of as quiet and subtle and emotional as this because even the people who are really really good at this kind of style um of of magic and i i don't want to keep saying magic because it gives the wrong idea of what this is as we talked about at the time we did a longer episode but even in that kind of stuff there's still an element of you know the wow factor and it, it being somewhat loud and this is the opposite this is like volume down really low because you're generally being told deeply personal deeply deeply personal and emotional stories and these are just serving as part of the backdrop to illuminate and to illustrate this and to really kind of convey it to the audience in interesting visual ways and I feel like I'm going to watch this again soon because it's been a while, but it like it, it's really thought provoking and it hits you in the chest. And I think it's entertaining and it's funny and you might laugh, you might cry, but I, I do think it's very, very different to most things you could do at like 90 minutes of your time. It's on Hulu in the US. I believe it has just landed. It was very difficult at the time we did this podcast for people in my part of the world to see this. It is now on um star via disney plus so very readily accessible and just highest possible recommendation like really really great interesting and i've taken quite a lot out of it because there's a lot of stuff in this that it kind of it prodded that for me which i've always hated the you know what do you do for a living we talked a lot about that kind of thing where you meet strangers and the way that they talk to you and you may then in turn talk back to them like it's it's done a lot in terms of sparking thought for me on that. And, you know, one day when, you know, true social lives are back, Andrew, not in a stop-start way, I look forward to putting it into practice. Because I haven't, I honestly, have you been meeting new people anytime recently? Like, outside of, like, a work context, maybe. Like, that's something that is gone. And I'll be honest, I'm kind of okay with it. But I know, I know that won't be the thing forever. It's like in the breaks between the darkness, we'll call it, in the past couple of years, you know, if there's time where it's kind of, oh, it's all good to go meet people. I've definitely been spending that on meeting people that I know I like and, you know, catching up with them as opposed to finding myself in these kind of social 
environments where I don't know this the kind of identity that's explored here becomes much more of a talking point. Um, yeah, I spend most of my time talking to people at work and hoping they won't find something in common with me so they don't try to hang out with me outside of work. That's kind of my only experience um, with new people because uh, I don't want any more friends. Any thoughts on in and of itself? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, I echo those same thoughts. It was, it really landed with me as well, especially kind of that idea of identity and what you tie your self worth up into. And I think that's something that we all need to, to think about from time to time. You're not your job, you're uh, whatever you really want to be and whatever you decide to put out into the world and, you know, take pride in about yourself. So I really enjoyed it. And I also like the, the storytelling. I think uh, Derek Delgadio is is really a showman and a performer at heart, and that's showcased as well. And it's it makes something that maybe when hearing the description, you're like, I don't really know about this. It, it's actually something that's really rewarding and entertaining. And I believe he is in Steven Soderbergh's new movie that comes out next month, and we we may end up talking about it on the pod. So he's he's also doing a bit of acting. It seems like now, or maybe I'm being premature and judging that we'll see what his character is and maybe he's doing some sort of illusionary stuff in it but uh, that's that's an interesting development too what's next for you andrew this is number five for you right yeah so really with this last Same choice, the best for last and that, well what this last choice is representing is how little i truly consume outside of sports and music uh because the only book i read this year other than the long goodbye was uh into the wild which came out what 30 years ago 25 years ago so i don't i don't really think that can count as my best of 2021 as you know, much as i enjoyed was actually called the big goodbye the big goodbye uh that's 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 my bad um <laughs> see i i don't read books often um but yeah i'm not i'm not good at books it's sports it's music and now it's movies, thanks to Adam. That's that's what I spend my time doing. So because of my insatiable need to have something going on in the background of my work day, I became interested in uh, T20 cricket this year, the Indian Premier League, and then the uh, T20 World Cup. And, you know, it was also came during a time where baseball had just ended. And, you know, I was kind of missing a bat and ball sport in my life. And so during my work days, Adam's shaking his head. Uh, this is good because some of our listeners don't like it when we agree on things and enjoy when we take each other to task. And you can mock me. I just for... didn't think you're going to talk about the actual cricket. Oh, I'm, I'm being brief. I'm just setting this up. Uh, but, oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, so This is to... more test than T20 right now. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I'm joking. Continue. To, Make your case. But, you know, like for someone that had no knowledge of this sport until he was 29 years old, you know, it, it took a little bit of learning. So when Cricket 22 came out in, I think it was supposed to come out in October, but it didn't come out until the first week of November because they had to replace the cover art because the captain, former captain of the Australian Test Cricket team, uh, got caught up in a dick pic scandal, which, you know, uh, that'll lead to delays in video games. 
Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed learning about the sport through a video game. You know, it's the, it's the same way I really got into soccer as a kid, just playing FIFA. And I really enjoyed Cricket 22, learning about now I test cricket. I get why people like it. I get that there's a history there. Uh, but like, I don't have five days to to watch one event and watch people just lightly tap the ball back to the bowler because they're waiting out the new ball and waiting for a new bowler. I don't even know all the, the nuances that go into it, but T20, I'm all for it. That, those large swings and just like trying for boundaries really kind of aligns with my skills as a baseball player. So I think in a different life, if I was born in a different place, I could have been a legendary T20 cricketer and cricket 22 is really what taught me that. So if you have any kind of passing interest in sports video games and you're looking for a new fix, or if you have, an interesting cricket at all cricket 22 highly recommended i got it on the xbox series s <laughs> i can't believe this made because we actually talked about what was going to make it and i didn't think this was and then i think i think it i wasn't on the original list and then he said oh maybe you know it'll be fun it'll annoy you and i was like oh if you want to put it on put it on and i didn't think i, it would I annoy really me. wanted to, but... i really wanted to give you the opportunity to talk shit about me is what is what i was doing i thought i was giving you a gift i like to support my friends uh i support andrew in all of his endeavors except for cricket i cannot i just can't i just i don't know what it is it brings out an intense reaction for me when i I was getting dms about indian cricket i was like just watching movies and he's just discovering new sports yeah, that's okay. That is what I, I think that may be the source of it for me more than anything. Was yeah. it, it went and back to I'm like, you know what? You've got a break from all these other sports, you know, do something else with your time, even if it wasn't movies. You know, maybe that's what I would like. But if you're like, you know, I'm reading a really good book or I'm listening to this great album or you know what? I'm outside enjoying just so much more fresh air than I was uh, when baseball season was on. I'd be like, you know but what? I- great. But you're like, you know what? I found another sport with a bat and ball, and this is it. I'm even going to be putting the video game on my year end list, though. Uh, okay, so so we've <laughs> un- we've unpacked it. It's the you don't need another new sport of it all. Got it. Um, well, it's all, I'm not a cricket fan. Cricket is very fun oh, yeah. to play. Um, very fun to play. It is not good to watch. I mean, T20 is fine. I, there are circumstances I will watch T20. Maybe there are people listening who are into cricket, and if so, that's great. I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, you're allowed to. Don't know if Andrew is. If, if you watch every other sport like him, then maybe you shouldn't either. Maybe there's just a certain cutoff point we can all agree on here. But, I mean, great. I I just think of like last year, I put The Last of Us Part 2 on here as a video game. And I'm just thinking like the lineage now of video game recommendations we're giving. And it's, it's I needed upsetting to, to have, me. I needed to have one on the list every year that just like viscerally upsets you. And last year, that was Ted Lasso. So and, what you're saying is te- next year, and, you're going to be like, you know what? You're right. Cricket is shit. You were right all along. <laughs> uh, I don't think it'll be like that, but you know, you never know. Maybe something will happen. Um, what I was going to say is I think what's kept me out of your, uh, out of your anger 
about you know knowing that it on a, occasionally in the background i'll have cricket on is that you know i've i've turned into the type of guy that will randomly message you on a wednesday night and i'm watching zola and that's a more positive uh kind well, of development in my life you've obviously been doing a lot more cricket stuff without telling me and you know what um, that's fine i don't want to know i don't want to know <laughs> Yeah, that's this. This could be just something that you know is kept away if, from everything else, Andrew. If we ever go to podcast couples counseling, it'll be because of my cricket fandom. It'll be because of you're telling me about it. I just, it's fine as long as I don't know about it. I can't believe you saved it to last too. It's like you know, say something good to last. I, I'm saying something I love. I'm saying something I think is great. I, I'm saying something that you know what you haven't watched, and you would be so much better spending your time watching this and cricket and I'll, you'll you'll watch it eventually and you'll agree with me um my last pick is the comedy docuseries how to with john wilson this is one of the the funniest the most poetic the most endearing um piece of television i've ever seen it also includes just some of the the smartest, the most imaginative filmmaking. It is nothing other than a complete and utter joy. Whenever it's back, it's just it's one of the best things in my life. And when it goes away, it's sad. It's sad that, oh, well, there may be no more of that for another year. And that's just working off the assumption that HBO can never cancel this. I don't care if nobody watches it. This show needs to go forever. John Wilson needs to be empowered to do this forever because it is a gift. So the series, um, I guess, came into being in part because it's executive produced by Nathan Fielder, who some of you listening may know from the Comedy Central show, Nathan For You, which if you don't know Nathan For You, go watch Nathan For You. Just an unbelievably funny show. Just the man is a genius. And I, I had heard about Nathan For You for quite a few years, and I wasn't kind of readily accessible here hadn't quite got around to it my good friend and my other podcast uh, co-host Jordan Tresky was a big fan I'd heard him talk about it before when I eventually got to watch it I was blown away because I couldn't think of too many other shows that were doing quite what it was doing or that had a performer that was as funny in that particular way and Nathan Fielder clearly had something of an eye for this because one of the first things it seems like he did with his increased influence in the aftermath of Nathan for you was to executive produce the show and to give John Wilson a platform and what a gift to the world that was essentially the show is a series of how-to guides hence the name where John Wilson with his camera handheld will take us generally about around New York although in the second season it has kind of broadened out slightly to other areas of the US and he will tackle an issue of some sort and when I say issue I don't mean big capital I issues maybe on occasion they can be closer to that but let me just read through the titles of the 12 episodes to date so we have how to make small talk how to put up scaffolding how to improve your memory how to cover your furniture how to split the check how to cook the perfect risotto. And then in season two, which is really my entry on this list, how to invest in real estate, how to appreciate wine, how to find a spot, how to throw out your batteries, how to remember your dreams, how to be spontaneous. 
they are essentially just a jumping off points for these episodes. And from episode to episode, I'm continuously just left astounded by the places he manages to bring it to, by the connections, by the just continuous kind of relentless run of visual gags that have been caught with just genius B-roll that him and his crew have captured around New York. It's all told in kind of montage storytelling where his voiceover, which in its own is just incredible of like any other voiceover you're going to hear on TV is backed up and illustrated by these just incredibly humorous shots he's captured of everyday life throughout New York. He meets some of the most colorful and interesting and varied people you can imagine. And I think more than anything else, the show manages to be aware of just how absurd everything about it is and how bizarre a lot of the people it comes into contact with are. And yet it's always on their side. It's never looking down at them. It's never laughing at them. There's a sense of just someone who's a deeply kind of empathetic filmmaker and someone who just has a really, really strong ability to connect to people in a room. And it, it always leads to something that is as heartwarming as it is funny. And it is so, so unlike really anything else that not only is on TV, but I, I think would easily get made. Like it, it's tough to get something like this made. And whenever it ends, and I hope that's a kind of natural end where he's moving on to do something bigger and better and decides that's that. I don't know if we'll just see this come along again or a bunch of imitators because I really don't know how many people can imitate it. It's just one of the very, very best TV shows around. And I, every now and then I dip my toe. Like it, if you're a regular listener, you'll have heard me say, I don't watch TV. I don't watch TV. That's a lie. Okay, it's a lie. I dip my toe every now and then. If something gets enough kind of buzz or I hear enough people whether it's people I know in person or critics who I respect say, this is great, this is worth watching, I'll fire something up, I'll watch a few episodes, maybe I'll watch it true. It's very rare, I'm like, you know what, that is actually great. How To With John Wilson is legitimately great. I've seen like major film publications where they've put individual episodes of this on their top 10 films of the year for 2021, which it gets into that territory we was talking about earlier. We don't need to claim you know everything as a movie or everything as tv i think there's no need for all that stuff but it does speak to just the quality at, at work here and the ideas and the teams and the skill in capturing it if you haven't watched how to with john wilson please 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 check it out because it's one of probably the most niche things on my list you know it's it's something that I, I think would be much greater served by a bigger audience because I, I think the audience is out there to really enjoy this um so if you haven't heard of it before if you have and you never got around to watching it go check out how to a john wilson i give you my word that this week before before the week is out i, what's your, what's I will have started start it. tonight they're like 25 30 minute episodes this is again this isn't the sweet spot for like which is something that everyone wants or needs whether it's like you're off for the weekend you want some fun stuff to switch it off and watch or it's like you're trying to relax in midweek, a night after work. It is perfect for it. It is so perfect. So just you you get down to it, Andrew. I'll, there's a few things here that I'll excuse you, you know, taking a break, brief break from movies um, to dive into some of this stuff. But how to with John Wilson, like 
don't just go do it all at once either. There's only 12 episodes. The second season has just finished airing. So there's going to be like a year between. You could watch one of these every now and then. But I'm sure you won't be able to resist once you start to just kind of watch one after the other after the other. I'm, I'm on it. I am on it. All right. Honorable mentions. What have you got? Uh, so for honorable mentions, I've just got a few more uh, music additions, um, as I'm known to do. And this is more in the genre that you associate with me, Adam. Uh, so the first one is Georgia Blue, which is uh, Jason Isbell and the 400 Units cover album of uh his some of uh, his favorite songs from Georgia artists, including REM, Driving and Crying, James Brown, Cat Power, Precious Brian, Otis Redding, The Black Crows, Indigo Girls. Now it's overheard. Gladys Knight and the Pips, The Almond Brothers Band, and Vic Chestnut. What um, REM's got? Cover? Uh, Night Swimming and Driver Eight. Nice. I'll I'll listen to Night Swimming cover. Um, and it features a. Uh, quite a few different artists um and and, in many cases doing the lead vocals uh instead of jason um so julian baker and brandy carlisle amanda shires ada victoria britney spencer um john paul white uh and i think that's it he also allows or not allows i don't want to say it like that because this guy's a, a a good rock and roll singer in his own right and releases solo albums his uh lead guitarist in the 400 unit Sadler Raiden sings uh, lead on Honeysuckle Blue, which is a driving and crying song. Who's kind of like a, a legendary Southern rock group from Georgia. And I got to see it. I got to see Honeysuckle Blue and Driver 8, which is an REM song, performed live when right before <laughs> Omicron was uh, really making its presence known. And I got to see them uh, in Durham earlier this year. So that was one of my favorite albums of the year. And the next one's not really an album uh, because the album comes out this year. Frank Turner's releasing an album called FTHC. Um, the singles he released for it, I really enjoyed. The Gathering, um, which is a song about uh, kind of the feeling, uh, the communal experience of getting back together for music when, <laughs> when we're allowed to. So that was a very uh, resonant song with me when he released it in May. And now we're kind of back to where we started. Also, uh, Haven't Been Doing So Well, which the title kind of explains what that one's about. It's like, you know, we all might be not doing so great uh, right now. And then uh, Miranda, which was another single, which was about um, his relationship uh, with his father, uh, who now is a transgender woman named Miranda. And in his childhood, his relationship wasn't necessarily the strongest. They had some falling outs and didn't speak for time. There's a great Guardian article that accompanies um, the song Miranda or you can get a little bit more about the relationship. So it's about, um, it's, it's really about reconnecting and, and, and having empathy and kind of mending fences with, with a person where you've had your differences with. So I think it's a, a really beautiful song about, about that. And then the last one that I had is uh, the ballad of dude and Juanita, which is Sturgill Simpson's um, kind of, it's like if a Cohen brothers, if the Cohen Brothers movie was a uh, bluegrass rock opera, is how I would describe it, and uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, it's got a song about a dead dog, and that's about as country music as country music gets. Um, oh, the last one I have is two albums from a band that I referenced uh, last year when we did this process, American Aquarium. They released 
three albums this year. One was a live album, and then two were called Slappers, Bangers, and Certified Twangers, Volumes 1 and 2, where um, American Aquarium covered some classic 1990s country songs. So it was a big nostalgia trip for anyone uh, of my age or around a certain time. And if you've ever, if you've ever driven to from central North Carolina to Myrtle Beach with your family and your dad put on FM country music radio, you know all these songs. So uh, yeah, uh, music guy. Uh, didn't listen to as much as I would in a normal year, but there was some stuff I really enjoyed. Yeah, I've got, I've got some music too. Although, as I mentioned, I don't feel like I don't feel like there was anything from 2021 that I listened to enough to feel comfortable putting on the list. And maybe that's a reflection on me more than music. It most likely is. It's what happens when you've got to watch so much movies. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get to the music in a second. Uh, first, I alluded to it earlier. I mean, Get Back is certainly one of my honorable mentions. Um, I, I'm just a colossal Beatles fan. I love this, like in the process of watching it. There's so much there, so rich, there's so much you learn about, not the band, but the dynamics within the band. And certainly there's myths that are busted and there's kind of a greater understanding that you get of um, all four members of the band and their partners and entourage and all of that stuff that's been so tied up in the kind of the legend of the Beatles for so long. Just thoroughly entertaining. Um is long. I won't say it's relentlessly kind of entertaining. You're not every single second being like, I'm on the edge of my seat here. This is the best thing I've ever seen. I I really, really like it. I I don't like it as much as other people. I, I think that's where I'll go with it. I think it's really, really, it's great to have there as a document. Is it great in its own right? That I'm much, much less sure of. Um, curb your enthusiasm. I love Curb. I've loved Curb for many, many years now. This is a really good season of Curb. I don't know if it was quite as good as the previous season, um, but there were some very strong episodes, some sort of strands of story that ran through it I wasn't so crazy about. But it is a show that when it hits, it hits just bigger and better than anything else like it. Larry David is still just the absolute king and there was a lot to like again about the most recent season and there's also a lot just knowing Larry David I'm in between seasons and you have COVID happening and knowing that this was shot during COVID and you're kind of like okay what's he going to do with this and he doesn't do as much as I expected but there's certainly an episode which features just multiple of my favorite people ever I won't even go into too much detail because I want to spoil it um, that has a big COVID joke payoff that just is so worth it. Like when it lands, it really lands, and it was a really clever, clever setup. Really strong season of Curb. As for music, uh, I really like the new War on Drugs album, uh, a band that I've always had a lot of time for. And I wouldn't say it's my favorite album of theirs. There's there's some of it I like more than others. There certainly is a stronger kind of synthy electronic element running through some of it, but it, it's an album that I really like. That's I don't live here anymore. Um, I listened quite a bit to Drake's Certified Lover Boy when that came out. Definitely not my favorite Drake album, but as as usual, he is one of the most reliable people in popular music in that there are certain songs that by the time you've listened to them a couple of times, any other time you're going to hear them, you're going to be nod- nodding your head, you're going to be singing along. 
Um, the rest of my music picks here, I'm going to stray into territory, which is really fun. Busting. The music and the card counter is exceptional. It's just a really great album, just kind of outside of the, the world of the, the movie. You can listen to it pretty um The Desner is really good that I've listened to a lot. And the one thing I will mention that is not 2021 um, now, and I feel like this is something of a Andrew. Uh, he was pushing this agenda in the past, and I just didn't listen because I think maybe I had wrongly built up a prejudice of, oh, this is going to be some really country stuff. And I was watching SNL right around the beginning of this year, turn of the year, and she was the musical guest. And I was doing something else at SNL in the background. And in a very cliched way, I literally stopped what I was doing and turned around to be like, who's that? Uh, uh, that SNL performance then caused a, caused a brief moment of discourse online. Um, but that was, that was the moment where I was like, oh, that's who Andrew has been talking about for quite some time. And I went and listened to all Phoebe Bridger's music. Yes, and I love it all. So not 2021. Uh, but it would be weird for me not to bring it up because that is 100% the artist, the music artist to the most throughout 2021. Love to see it. All right, Andrew. Good, good year. Have we enjoyed the things? How are we going to reflect? How's history going to reflect on a year where the cricket video game made the top five of... Do you think this is definitive? I... What, if, what if our podcast takes <laughs> off? To a point where we're we're esteemed, respected uh, movie commentators, and at some point there's like a Wikipedia entry for our non-movie pop culture picks for 2021 and the cricket 22 video games on it. You're gonna stand I by think it? it. I think it'll become a recurring um, bit and uh, joke of 23 on next year. Is that? Yeah, it okay. it could it, or our fans will just embrace the joke of remember that time Andrew picked cricket 22 and his top five of things like these are five things that he engaged with during the year and that made the list what a sad man they might that might be what the the captured on celluloid heads uh latch onto well well yeah i guess so i hope not i hope i hope not but if you if you play the game you have fun playing it you know, get in touch. Let us know. Andrew would love to hear it if you're taking him up on his recommendation. That's bringing you joy too, right? I will not hold my breath. I will say, I think, uh, I think our 2021 film and year year in film and review will be a little more substantial and meaty than uh, some of my choices here. We're more qualified for that one. We'll be doing well to keep that one within like four hours. Okay, Andrew. So next time. On captured in satellite. Um, we're essentially just gonna pay off something that you've been putting the work in for. You've been hired at work in the film room, crushing tape to catch up, get some sense of what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that a lot of people seem to be deeply invested in. And with that, we'll we'll talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. Are we the most qualified people to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home? Probably not. Will we be the most enthusiastic? I don't know. Andrew actually hasn't seen it yet. He did all the homework and he hasn't gone to watch the film he did the homework for. But this is just a good way that I can push him over the edge so that all of that wasn't for nothing. So, yeah. 
There was a Spider-Man movie. It seems like most people have seen it by now. Andrew is going to join you in that. And we'll talk about it. And it'll be a little bit different because it's not the kind of movie we usually talk about. But I, I think there should be some uh, some fun, interesting conversation to come from it. Are you ready, Andrew? We're, gonna, we're doing a Marvel podcast. It's not quite like us. I'm excited just to see where it goes, how it goes, what the reception is. Do we get lots of listeners? Do we get lots of like hate mail, abuse? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious as to what this is going to look like as a next step. Yeah, you know, with the homework, I've... I've been bored by a lot, but I've also really enjoyed a lot and came out of it on the other side. Um, more of a fan of some of these than I thought I was going to be. So we'll see how we're going to have to, we're going to have to do quick fire reviews on the ones we've watched. Uh, next week. Yeah. I don't have to rewatch them, but we're going to have to, it may be even better if you don't, if we're like, um, okay. Uh, Tor, Dark World? That's the name of a tour, I think. Yes. I, I don't think you've actually watched that one. But just as an example, if we're just like, go, and you have to give us two minutes of your thoughts. I mean, I think this is like a segment we thought we were going to do over time. But maybe we could roll multiple of them in and then do some Spider-Man talk. This sounds like a plan. We're coming up with it on the fly here. Maybe we could take this off air, but I, I think it's also a tease. It's going to get people to check it out next week. I like it. I'm ready. I'm gonna. I'm gonna prepare myself. And you know, if 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 some people want to bring me some hate, I will have brought it upon myself. All right. Until the next time, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You're really gonna want to do that because you're gonna hear Andrew Snyder talk about Marvel movies. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>